Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus Um, Even after Easter has come and gone, I spent some time praying for pastors this morning because a lot of pastors right after Easter got sick, came down with allergies, all kind of stuff. Uh, But actually about a week after uh, the Passover occurred uh, or Easter occurred, uh, the resurrection occurred, sorry, about a week after the resurrection, Jesus was appearing to many of the disciples but they were also huddled together praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, So just really quick, I want to share this verse. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, it says, After his suffering, uh, which many versions say the passion, especially the King James, which is what Mark talked about on Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus' passion to give his life for ours. After his suffering, he, meaning Jesus, presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, Then it says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we spoke about last week how that same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is available to anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. And so God keeps his promise to give us his Holy Spirit, and it's that Holy Spirit that helps us through just many of the trials and the struggles of day-to-day life. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and uh, as the band comes up, before we jump into a time of praise and song, uh, I just want to pray for... uh, all of us. God, I am so grateful and thankful that you are faithful to your word, that you give your Holy Spirit, that you are faithful to your people, that you would never leave us nor forsake us, and that you are just an honorable and just and faithful God who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 As you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, now I get uh, some of you have been here since before I got here, but for those of you uh, who have been here for a while, uh, you're probably familiar with the concept that we teach through the Bible, right? Our goal is to help equip people so they better understand the Word of God. Uh, So we, as a congregation, Uh, can fulfill our mission as the church. Uh, Now, I can't speak for every congregation, but for Crossroads, that's literally our mission, to just be the church, right? To share the love of Christ, to be able to go out and tell people that, yes, there is a God who loves you, he cares about you, uh, he sent his son to die for you, that's how much he loves you. Uh, But here's the thing, we can't just share about the love of Christ, we also need to be able to show the love of Christ. Right? So we need to be able to uh, not just say, hey, God loves you, and then someone looks and says, you say God loves me, but I saw the 10 things you posted online that said that I was, you know, 
name-calling, all this kind of stuff. So how is that really showing God's love? Right? So our words need to line up with our actions. We need to share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ. And then we need to be able to invite people to be a recipient of God's amazing love. It's great when we invite, pe- invite people to come hang out the Sunday celebration, but the goal is to invite people to be a part of God's kingdom. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we are in this community, because that's what we want to do. So uh, when we, for us to do that, we teach through the entirety of the Bible, right? We teach Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, the whole Bible, but we also teach on topics, so it may not be, hey, we're going to walk through, you know, we walk through the whole book of Zechariah, we've walked through many other books, but there are times when we say, let's just look at this topic and see what the Bible has to say about it. Old Testament, New Testament, what does the Bible say about this topic? So a couple of years ago, uh, we did a series called, I Have a Friend Who Says, right? Uh, where we um, walk through the entire, not the entire Bible, but a lot of the questions. And then last week, we said, let's bring that series back and let's talk about the resurrection, whether or not the resurrection is real. Because there's a lot of people that say, you know, the resurrection didn't happen, it's not true, it's, it's, it's not reality. So we looked at, you know, is that, from a, just a logical perspective, does that make sense? Now, when we did this series, I think it was 2015, uh, we addressed a bunch of other topics. Right? We, uh, we talked about the fact, because people were asking questions, how do you know God exists? I had a bunch of people sharing this in a uh, Facebook group this morning, how do you know God exists? And, and, and all my friends were telling me God doesn't exist. So when we did it in 2015, I think we started off with that question, and we gave evidence. Again, evidence doesn't prove everything. Evidence are pieces of information that support a theory or a concept. So we provided a lot of evidence for the existence of God. Uh, and then we talked about, because there are a lot of people that say, the Bible doesn't, you know, isn't real, it's fake, it was all written you know, in this time, and it was just written by uh, a bunch of monks who wanted to manipulate people and get their money. So we provided a lot of evidence, again, to show that the Bible is real, and, and when it was written, and how that lines up. Uh, and then we did this one, we did a couple of these, uh, the Bible versus science. That's a big one because uh, there are a lot of people say that there's, there's things in the Bible that just don't make sense scientifically or that contradict what we know to be true scientifically. So we walked through a lot of those. The big one, beginning of the universe, Big Bang Theory. We talked about that, right? We talked about uh, the age of the earth, so we addressed that. Uh, and, and just so you know, and I'm not going to go into all these. You can look on our website. I think they're still there. Um, yeah, I think they're still there. Uh, just Google, I have a friend who says, this series might come up as well as the one from 2015. But we talked about uh, evolution, right? Because people say, you know, we evolved and uh, we talked about, you know, scientifically, it's literally impossible for consciousness and emotion to poof into existence from chemicals. Never seen it happen before. And the only thing that we have seen throughout all of human history is life give birth to life. So we talked about all of these things, right, to equip people to do the thing that the Bible tells us to do, 
Because we're supposed to, when people ask us this, we're not supposed to like be afraid to answer. We're supposed to engage in, in, in respectful dialogue and say, here's what I, why I believe what I believe. And this is what the Apostle Peter says, and we looked at this before. This is the amplified version, because it kind of just expands on the language. And he says, but in your heart set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. And if you've done that, then you should always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you. But do it courteously and respectfully. So when people ask us these questions, we shouldn't get like afraid or upset or feel like, you know, we got we to gotta beat them down because they're judging us for our faith. We should be ready to say that term logical defense, excuse me, some versions say just give an answer. It's one Greek word, apologia, where we get the concept of apologetics, which is literally defending the faith, being able to share, here's why you believe what you believe. Now, even though we did this series in 2015, right, to just equip people, we're doing it again because there's this whole movement. Uh, I don't know if it's globally, I think it is globally, but it's really centered here in the United States because of everything that's happened over the last couple, last couple of years, and it's called deconstruction, right? Construction is where you build something. Deconstruction is where you take it apart and look at the pieces. So there are a lot of people doing what they call deconstructing, deconstructing their faith. They're just questioning their faith, which there's absolutely nothing wrong uh, with people questioning their faith, but they're asking questions about their faith. Uh, they're asking questions about the actions of people in the church, which again makes sense because they're seeing, they're seeing, hey, you guys are doing this and you're saying this, but it doesn't match up with what I'm reading in this. And so they're questioning uh, a lot of church leaders. They're questioning a, a lot of people like, how does that make sense that we do this or that we treat people this way? Because that's not quite what the Bible says. And here's the problem. A lot of congregations and denominations are built more on tradition than the word of God. So when people say, why are you doing this? They either say, because this is the way we've always done it, or they don't have an answer. And then they get mad at the people who are saying that doesn't line up. But there are also some people who are deconstructing, and they're just, they're just ready to leave. The, they're like, I'm tired of being, I don't want to go to church anymore, I don't want to do this. My response to them, let them go. Don't be mean towards them, don't be angry towards them. I, I, I pray you come back. If you ever have questions, come feel free to talk, but uh, let's not hate on people that decide they're done and they're ready to leave, because that's not what God does to us. Yes, there are consequences to their actions, but when people say, I want nothing to do with God, God doesn't force them into a relationship with him. He's, he just lets them go. And that's what we should do. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, especially pastors, get really upset with folks who are deconstructing, as it's called. And again, I think their anger and uh, they're more upset with the folks who are just leaving the faith and say, I'm questioning it as a reason, but they're just using it as a, as a, as a reason to like leave. So they get a little bit frustrated with that, which I can understand. But if it's folks who are just asking general questions, we can't get mad at that. And this is one of the reasons why we teach through the entire Bible. Because if you read through the Bible, right, especially the New Testament, all of the epistles, not the Gospels, all of the epistles in the New Testament, except for three, uh, the book of Acts, the book of Philemon, 
and the book of Revelation. Sorry, I just had to make sure how I was holding up these fingers because that could have went bad. But except for the book of Revelation, right? Except for those three books, every single one of the epistles, not the gospels, the other letters in the New Testament are written to answer questions, which is why when you read it, they're jumping from topic to topic to topic. And it says, well, now about this, and now I'm going to address this. And then they just shift topics because they're answering questions. So when folks ask questions about their faith and they, they want to know, well, why are we doing this? Or what does the Bible say about this? Or it appears, or I've heard it said, or I have a friend who says that this is what the Bible says, right? You can say, well, well, well that's not true. Here's the reality of what the Bible says on that topic. And here's the thing. If you don't know, which is okay, then at least say, hey, you know what? I don't know, but are you willing to look for the answers together? Like, I'll go back, talk to my pastor, and you, you, you research here, and, and, and we'll come have coffee next week, and we'll talk about what we found. Because that's, that's, what, that's what the Bible is built upon. People asking questions about God, God making revelations to humanity, and then people inviting other people to uh, be in a relationship with God, right? So I'm going to come at this from a pastoral perspective. I'm going to come at this uh, from a perspective of here's what the Bible says about uh, money, right? Because that, that's one of the topics that so many people um, just criticize the church over, sometimes for good reason, because the church didn't do the best job of communicating this. But, and, and I get this a lot because I'll, I'll post a video saying something and I get a bunch of comments like you're just doing this for the money or whatever. You guys that are looking at the budget, can obviously see, I'm not doing this for the money, right? That's not why I'm in this. But uh, I'm going to come at this from a, a pastoral perspective. And we're going to look at what the Bible says that we're supposed to tell people when it comes to money. And some people may not agree with it. Some people may not like it. But this is what the Bible says. And this is why we do it. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, for those of you who have been around for a while, we actually walked through the book of First and Second Timothy along with the book of Titus in a series called The Pastoral Letters. You can find that on our website as well. But this morning, we're just going to look at a couple of verses that specifically talk about the concept of money uh, in the body of Christ, in the church. So, um, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the table underneath or under a chair somewhere. And if you're using an app or a phone, uh, there's a little wooden thing back on the coffee table. Just tap your phone on that and it will connect you to the Wi-Fi. Right? So this is what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, drop down to verse 3. In verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches false doctrines, anyone, that means if a pastor, if a political figure, if your favorite actor, your favorite YouTuber, whoever, if anyone teaches false doctrines, that word doctrines just means standards, right? Because that, that's what the Bible is. It gives us a standard for living. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he, that person, he or she, whoever is teaching that, is conceited and understands nothing. In other words, hey, if they're not teaching in accordance with the word of God, they're probably teaching in accordance with what they think 
which may not be true, which is why he says they're conceited and they don't understand anything. He says he has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that their godliness is a mean to financial gain. Long story short, he says, if anyone who teaches false doctrines, doctrines that are not from God's standards, or not in line with the instruction that we receive about Jesus Christ in God's word, they're doing it because, one, they don't understand. Two, if they're not teaching the word of God, they're teaching what they think or believe, which means they're conceited, and they're pushing like arguments and division, and that's why we see so many different denominations, nothing wrong with worshiping God in a certain way, but those denominations have a lot of different understandings about what God's word says, even though it's one book, right? Now, here's the thing, right? Some people are asking questions about the word of God, which is fine, but those people don't get to change the answers because they don't like what Jesus said. So they don't get to ask, hey, what does the Bible say about money? Or what does the Bible say about sexuality? Or what does the Bible say about uh, uh, whatever? And then because they don't like the answers, they change it. They don't get to do that. That's like someone saying, what is your opinion on whatever? You share your opinion, and they change what you said to match up with what they think. Because they're not being true to what you said, and we wouldn't be being true to what God said. Now drop down to verse 17. Because this is the money shot, right? Pun intended. He says, verse 17, command, underline that word command, meaning it's not an option. It doesn't say suggest. It doesn't say politely ask. It says command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, really quick, I've shared what I'm about to share in the past because most of us look at that and say, well, I'm not rich, right? But for those people who are rich, there is a command, and we're going to read some more of them, that we from the pulpit, pastors, are supposed to share. Now, here's the problem. He says rich in this present age. Some people just take that to mean in your current situation because we're not all, even if you are rich, you may not stay that way. And most of us will look and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. You should be preaching this to like Elon Musk or, 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 or you know, any of the actors from Hollywood who get like $15 million for a picture that flops, right? Preach that to them. Well, this applies to them too. But the reality is, it applies to most of us. Now, what I'm about to show you, I said I've shown this before, uh, that algorithms do change over time because the world changes. And you can go look this up on any website. If you Google global wealth calculator, you'll find a bunch of these different things. So for anyone, if you have a household income of $35,000, which is not a lot, right? I mean, Netflix and Amazon take a good chunk of that. that. That's not a lot of money to live on. But if you have a household income of $35,000, when a household of two adults, two children, let's say, four persons, two adults, two children, then you are wealthier than over 80% of the people in the world. You're, you're in the top 16% of the world's wealthiest people, which may not make sense to you 
when you're microwaving ramen for dinner because that's all you can afford on $35,000. But we tend to look at our financial situation in the light of the people around us, right? And so we look and say, I'm only making $35,000, but look at the taxes in Jefferson Hills. Look at what people in Jefferson Hills are making, so I'm not doing too good. And I've shared this before. Uh, when Christy and I were in Virginia, you know, we were making like six figures. Loudoun County, one of the wealthiest, I think it's the second wealthiest county in the United States, but we were at the bottom of the bracket because everyone else was making eight, nine, and ten figures. But we, were, we, we, were, we thought, hey, we're doing good, but compared to everybody else, we were the poorest people like in our community. And we can look at $35,000 and say that's not a lot, but when you look at the world... Right? You're making four and a half times more than most of the people in the world, 80% of the people in the world. Now, 35,000 is not a lot, but 50,000, because I can remember when I was like, I can't wait till I make $50,000 a year, because that's halfway to 100,000, and I'll be wealthy. But once you make over 50,000, you're in a different tax bracket, so you bring home less, so you're actually poorer. Took a while to figure that out, but. If you're making 50000 you you broke into now, you're in like almost into the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now, here's the reality. In the United States, in 2021, the average income for a household was $79,000. I think, I think it was actually 78500 I just bumped it up because... Nice, healthier number, but $79,000. If you're making seven, and again, this isn't everyone in the house making that. The household is bringing in $79,000 a year. You're in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. You're very close to being those one percenters that everyone hated a while ago. But you're up there with them. So when the Bible uh, uh, says, hey, and again, this, 1 Timothy, this is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy to say, here is what you as a pastor need to do and teach to your congregation. And it says, command those who are rich in this present world, and that is most of us, here's what they need to do. Verse 18 says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the way that we're supposed to live, not just to prepare us for how we live in heaven, but it also gives us some insight right, on how to have our best life now. No offense to Joel Olstein, but this is how we like, live our best life now, is doing this. So here's, here's what Paul says. Hey, you, Timothy, a pastor, here's what you command the rich people, which is probably all of us in this room, would fall into from a world scale, be considered rich. He says, command the rich people to have hope in God, not wealth. So that's one of the things that we tell Hey, you're, the, wealth can disappear overnight. Stock market crash, wealth is gone. Or a pandemic, wealth is gone. Or uh, someone gets sick and they're not able to work, and then wealth is gone. Or uh, a government action or government inaction, they put something into law or they wipe away a law and all of a sudden your wealth is gone. But this is why he says, hey, 
command the rich people not to put their hope in wealth, but put their hope in God who will never leave us and never forsake us and provides for us, right? But he also says, uh, command these people to do good, which means just as a person, do the right thing. Make God-honoring decisions, which it's easier to do when you're being taught, here's what God's word says, how we should respond, how we can react in these situations, and when you're filled with God's Holy Spirit to help us act and respond in those situations. But then he also says to be rich in good deeds. Use your wealth or your financial resources to help others when you have an opportunity to give, give. When you have an opportunity to help, help. Or the church language that we like to use, when you can bless the lives of others. Right? When you can be a blessing to someone, then that's a good time to use your wealth, your resources. But he also says this, and this is, this, is, this is the whole basis for it. He says, be generous. Be willing to give freely to others. Now, um, what word do we not see up there? Tithe. He doesn't command them, make sure they give 10%. He says, just, just tell them to do good, use their wealth and their resources to help others, to do good deeds, and just to be generous in general. Nowhere in, in, in his talk does he say, command them to tithe, which is one of the reasons why uh, we will pray for our offering, um, which I didn't do earlier, and there are many Sundays I forget to do, but we don't do like a specific teaching on you have to tithe. That's not what the Bible instructs us to do. When the topic comes up and we're going through a book, we'll stop and explain it. Or in a situation like this where people are saying, well, what is it? You know, all the church wants is your money. No, we're going to address, here's what the church wants. It wants you to put your hope not in wealth, to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. Not just with your money, but with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Now, when we think of generosity, we always think of uh, uh, money. But it's more than about money. But money is a huge part of it because that's the easiest thing that we can be generous with. Now, I'm going to show you, uh, uh, stay in 1 Timothy. Uh, this is from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to read this to you, and then I'll explain the context. It'll make a lot more sense. This is King David, and this is right as they were taking up an offering to build the temple. He told the people, or actually he's talking to God, but in front of the people, wealth and honor come from you. He's talking to God. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. The reason why he's praising God is because they took up an offering to build the temple. He knew he wasn't going to build it, but he said, hey, let's take up an offering so we have everything ready so when my son Solomon starts building the temple, everything is there. To kick it off, he said, I'm going to give out of my personal treasure, not what the government has, not what no, no, my family has, my family wealth, because they didn't have a whole lot. He said, I'm going to give out of my personal pocket to start this off. Now, it lists that he gave gold and silver and weight, tons of it. By today's standards, he literally gave in gold over five billion, everybody go, ba ba ba, ba ba ba, billion with a B, five billion dollars in gold, and 150 million dollars worth of silver. That's how much he said, I'm gonna take out of my personal pocket and I'm gonna give 
in order to build the temple. Then his officers said, well, wow, if you're going to give and be that generous, then I'm going to also give. And his officers gave millions upon millions of dollars. Then the people came because they were like, hey, they're setting the example of generosity. So we're going to give. And they gave literally billions and billions of dollars. And this is why David then says this. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That is the key to understanding generosity within the church. Whether we're tithing, whether we're giving our time, whether we're giving our talent or our treasure, we do it by understanding that everything that we have comes from God. And David, he, he could understand that because I know we think, I, I think I've, I've heard nothing but this because Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter, uh, that he is like the richest man in the world. But if you go back into that standard, David was wealthier than Elon Musk. And Solomon, his wealth put David to shame. And this is where that aspect of giving and generosity comes from and not depending on our wealth or man's wealth because God's wealth is uncomprehensible. My mind just, I, I, I mean, Elon Musk had to raise $46.5 David rolled up trucks full of gold out of his pocket and said, yeah, I'm just going to donate five, $5 billion. No problem. And he didn't deplete his assets. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of like, I don't want to say money he had laying around, but it wasn't depleting his assets. So uh, this is the basis of generosity. This is the basis where understanding generosity comes from. This is where uh, us as a congregation, and it should be every congregation's concept of money should come from, from the biblical standard of generosity, which is why generosity is one of our core values. Now, our core values, really quick, just authentic community, being authentic means being real with one another. means being willing to say, hey, uh, I'm not doing okay. I'm not feeling too good. Uh, uh, things aren't going great. Can you pray for me? And sometimes being able to say, hey, can you help me? I need help with this. I need help with that. But also, uh, community means being there for one another, checking in on one another, making sure that people are doing okay, being a community of believers. And I get this from time to time because sometimes I'll call someone and say, hey, I just, I, I just want to see how you're doing. I haven't seen you in a while. And our normal response is, I know I should be in church. I'm not calling because you missed the Sunday celebration. I'm calling to make sure you're not lying in a ditch somewhere or in the hospital or in need of help. I'm calling because I care about you. That's what authentic community is. Uh, but also extreme generosity is one of our core values. Not just giving of our, 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 our treasure and our, our, our talents, but also giving our time, right? Because when you donate your time to someone, when you spend time with someone, you can't get that back. If someone says, hey, Floyd, can I have $20? And I'm like, here's $20. I might be able to go make up another $20. I might be able to borrow $20 from someone else. I might be able to work until I get another $20. When they say, Floyd, can you spend some time with me to talk about this? I can't get that time back. But I will give it to them freely, especially if they're a part of our community, because I want to be there for them. 
And all of these are not driven because we're that good. It's because of the passionate spirituality, God's Holy Spirit working in us that makes us, yeah, I'm willing to be real with people. I'm willing to be in community with people. And I'm willing to give extremely out of what God has given to me, right? So these are our core values, and this is our approach to money, which is reflected in the budget that you guys have. We, we, we need to make sure we're telling people, hey, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God, which is why we don't beat people over the head about tithing and money and giving, but we are very consistent about putting your faith and your trust in a God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. That is more important. And, and side note, I feel like I need to get on, on, on a soapbox. I'm not going to. But side note, and this is just me. I got a little bit frustrated and angry, and I've shared this with you before because I heard people saying, and I hear people saying it now, when you get your tax refund, don't forget to tithe. And people were saying, when you get that stimulus check, don't forget to tithe. No, when you get your tax refund, take care of your family. When you get, if, if we do get another stimulus check, I don't think we should, but if we get one, I'm going to cast a check. You can judge me, but I'm going to spend it just like everybody else. But if we get another stimulus check, use it to pay your bills. Lose it to take care of your family. Use it uh, to make sure you have the medicine you need and to put food on the table. So we don't like beat people over the head, make sure you tithe, make sure you tithe. But we try to drill into people, hey, make sure you're in a relationship with God and living by his standards. And we want people to do good. We want people to be rich in good deeds, which is why we encourage people. And you, you don't look around here and see us doing a lot of ministries in this building. We just don't. But we do a lot of things in the community, not us, hey, look at this church doing in the community, but telling you to go out and do it, telling you to go out and volunteer at the food bank, telling you to go out and volunteer with uh, other organizations, the diaper pantry we're doing. It's not for us. It's actually for another church that is doing it to meet needs in the community. We're just trying to help them out. All of these things are a part of just being generous with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. So one of the things that we're going to do, this is why being generous, is we're also going to, included in the budget that you guys have, is we're going to uh, help uh, give uh, financial assistance and prayer assistance uh, to Travis Deans. Uh, he is the Northeast Region's missionary um, district person uh, for the National Network of Youth Ministries. And what he does and that organization do is they go and they equip students to go into schools and reach other students. Instead of sending in like uh, uh, some adult who's going to try to share the gospel with them, they just equip students to do it themselves. Because the students are already there, and they're able to reach other students who are already there. Uh, and we're also going to uh, give some financial resources and prayer support uh, to Pastor Spike Bowen. Uh, uh, he has uh, Pastor Inked. I-N-K-E-D, you can see why, because of his tattoos, is what he goes by on social media. And he started a ministry sending Bibles to first responders and military so they didn't have to pay for it, because Bibles are expensive, no doubt. But then more people started asking, so he just started sending Bibles out to anyone that asks. So including in your budget, it's helping them. Now, whenever we help people financially, we have three tiers. This may not be what works for everybody, this is what works for us. We start off just $25 a month. 
I know that sounds like a commercial if you just send them $25 a month, but we start off by just helping them $25 a month. As they become more established and as we get more familiar with them, then we move it up to $50 a month, uh, and then the last goal is 100 For us, it makes it easy to understand if we're going to help someone, here's the way that we're going to do it. Uh, I think we used to have someone we were hoping at $100 a month. We're not anymore. Uh, most of them are at 25 and I think we have one, maybe two, at $50 a month. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. All of that to say, that brings us to the place uh, where if you've had a chance to look at, our, uh, look at the budget, what I'm going to do is ask us to vote on it. All right, so are there any questions whatsoever? And if you have questions later, I always throw this out there. Feel free to come and ask. You can email me, text me, ask me later. Uh, we can provide a more detailed, I think it's like seven pages, of where every penny goes. And I used to print that out and provide it to people. Like I print out like 50 copies, give them to everybody. And then after everyone left, there'd be like 47 copies in the trash. So I just didn't want to waste paper. Uh, again, trying to be save money. Uh, but so are there any questions about the budget? And, and you guys that are watching online, I know you're probably like logged off by now because you're like, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, but there are a lot of people who donate online. Uh, so are there any questions about the budget? Okay, so the motion is to accept the proposed budget. All those in favor, raise your hand. All those opposed, raise your hand. Okay, so that passes unanimously. Uh, I was going to ask the band to come up and we are going to sing again, but I think I just want to pray. Actually, <laughs> let me do this. I'm going to pray for the offering. God, we are, again, just so grateful of the generosity that you show, not just to us, but to all of humanity. We're grateful that we have an opportunity to give back a small portion of what you give to us. We're grateful that uh, we're in uh, maybe not individually the greatest financial situation we think we should be in, but for most of us, we have food, we have clothing, we have a place to lay our head, we have family and friends that love us, and we have you by our side, and for that, we give you praise and glory and honor, and thank you that we are so truly blessed in that way. We pray that going forward that we would use every financial resource that you give us to, as we said, to be a blessing to you, to be a blessing to others, and to see that your word is proclaimed throughout this community and beyond. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.